Today I'm going to do the Bible reading from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses from 1 to 14. If any of you do not have a Bible, there are Bibles kept at the back, and you can pick one, and that will be a gift to you from the church. Colossians chapter 1, verses from 1. Salutation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all your spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's um, great to be here this morning. It's great to be back. I've been away for about three Sundays. But I've got the joy this morning of opening up God's Word um, with us. So can I please encourage you to keep your Bibles open in front of you. We're starting a new sermon series on the book of Colossians where we'll be looking at being captivated by uh, Jesus. So let's pray um, as we come to God's Word now. Heavenly Father, we have open Bibles in front of us. We have your word opened up. And so, Father, now we ask that as we understand it, that you will change us, transform us, captivate us, so that we'll understand the knowledge of your will. Will help us to see the real deep realities of this world and what you've done for us in your Son. Well, may we never move on, may we never graduate but may we stay standing in the gospel. And we pray this for the sake of your glory. Amen. 
We live in a world that is ever increasingly connected and saturated in information. We are so connected that we can be across the world by a plane within a day. We can be at another country, another city. We are increasingly being connected more and more. And not only are we connected by physicality, not only do we do that, but we've got the internet. We've got a connection of information. Not only do we have to go to the library, but now we can go to the internet. <clears throat> we can go to ChatGP. We can go anywhere to find information at our fingertips. You can FaceTime someone, a family friend in England, and you see their face. And you can be there tomorrow if you catch a plane. We live in a world that's ever increasingly connected and saturated with information. And really, in a way, we live in Sydney. We, we are a, a hub of Australia. There is people from all around the world here. And in a way, we live in a 21st century Australia context where we have many religions, many ideologies, many um, so much information that, that we're competing. We have competing ideologies. We have competing religions. We have competing philosophies. There is so much information for us to take in. And we are so connected. You know, 2020 showed the speed at which how connected the 21st century really is when COVID hit and at the speed at which it affected the world. But how does that make you feel? Do you feel worried and anxious about that? Do you fear tomorrow and what that looks like? Or, or maybe there's a sense of anxiety as you read the news and the, you go into articles in the internet. Maybe that consumes you. Or maybe you're just confused and feeling a bit overwhelmed with the variety of information and the contexts and the, and the, the ideologies and the philosophies. You think, what should I take in? What should I not take in? Maybe you're excited by the, the, the amount of religions and philosophies. And so you find yourself taking a bit of this and a bit of that. And in a way, what can happen is over time in, in living in a 21st century world in Sydney, Australia, is, is syncretism can come in. And now what syncretism is, it's, it's sort of taking a bit of different religions and making a new one. You go, that looks good there. I want to take a bit of that. That's going to be good for my life. And I want to take a bit of this. It'll be good for my life. We're starting a new sermon series in the book of Colossians, which really speaks and helps us understand how we are to live in an ever-increasingly connected and information-saturated world. Because see, really, just like the 21st century Australia, we are very similar to the first century city of Colossae. See, the first century city of Colossae was a, in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was huge, bigger than Australia. And the Roman Empire was connected. Now, I don't know about you, but the roads in Blacktown only last a couple of years before they need potholes. But we still have Roman roads today that are still there. And you think, man, I wish we knew how to build roads like that. And the effect that that had on the Roman Empire was that city after city, you found yourself very, very connected. Didn't take long for information to travel. And so the cities were a place of activity, of information and, and being a place of being connected to Rome. And really the Roman Empire was a place connected. They saw the Roman Empire as a Pax, Pax Romania, which is basically the peace of Rome. The emperor brought peace and forgiveness and he was a saviour. And so that was the, the, the ideology of the Roman Empire. But what would happen is, is that the Roman Empire would come and conquer cities. They conquer lands. They would come in 
And they'd say, it's okay for you to have that religion. We'll take a bit of it. But as long as you worship the emperor, like we'll have a bit of your religion, you can have a bit of our religion, but as long as we're all okay in this. And so what you found was that it was in these cities like Colossae, and especially Colossae, which was in modern day Turkey, it was a crossroads of trade and roads that you had philosophies, you had religion and values all interconnecting where you would have been talking about all this kind of stuff and you just sort of work out a bit of syncretism, we'll take a bit of this, we'll take a bit of that and we'll take a bit of that. And Paul's writing to that city. He's writing from Ephesus, sorry, probably writing from Rome. Now, Colossae is in the modern, you know, well, I was there in January. I was excited because I was going to go visit the city of Colossae. And it's basically a mound of dirt today. It hasn't been excavated. I stood on the, the mountain of dirt and Colossae was under me. It's no longer there, unlike Laodicea and other places because of an earthquake. But it was a very connected place. And Paul writes to this church and he's writing because in a sense, there's these influences. We're not sure what they are. We can't pin exactly what's the one thing that false teachers were bringing like Galatians. But people, there's these false teachers coming in and they're influencing the church and saying, hey, you should be like this. You know, Jesus, yes, Jesus is what saved you, but Actually, you need this. You know, some were more concerned about angels. Others were, were caught up and made a big deal about visions and dreams. Others were concerned about ascetic practices, which is like fasting and discipline and going away and being a monk. You know, they were saying that is a special mystical experience. You don't have that, so therefore you need to have that. And if you go to chapter 2 of Colossians, you start to get a hint of some of these things like religious obedience and laws and rules. Go to chapter 2 and you'll see, you just can't pin exactly which one it is, but there's a whole magnitude of things that were influencing the early church. And Paul writes to them to say, hey, actually, he's going to equip them to recognize when these things come along so that you don't take the things you shouldn't take from culture and influence the church. And so today, as we kick off our nine-week sermon series, we're going to be asking the question, how do we live in a world that's effectively connected and saturated in information. How do we live with well, the three things for us today? And the first one is, as we consider this book of Colossians, which takes us into the deep realities of the world, it, it's the first point is that we live knowing the gospel transforms and shapes lives. The first thing we're going to see here in chapter one is that the gospel transforms lives. Now, what what is the gospel? Because wherever the gospel goes, we see in chapter one, it transforms and changes lives. What is the gospel? The gospel is a message of good news, of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the message of a victory that took place 2000 years ago. It's not a message about what you must do, but it's a message about what God has done, the father through his son in bringing reconciliation through faith to him. So the gospel is a good news message about what's been done. And it's gone through the Roman world and transformed lives. You see that in the first couple of verses. Verse 1, did you, Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now that's a, that's a good introduction, but it tells you something. It says his allegiance is not to Caesar, but his allegiance is to Jesus. Verse 2, to the saints at Colossae, to the holy people. It tells you that they're holy people, they're God's people, because they're united to Christ. Verse 5 says the gospel's come. Verse 7, Epaphras, right? He's a guy who's been transformed. 
Now, Epaphras, he's obviously, it appears probably that Epaphras heard the gospel at Ephesus under Paul. He's saved. Paul hasn't been to Colossae yet. And Epaphras goes back and he tells them about this gospel message. And what do we see here? That transforms their lives. Because see, false teachers are coming in and saying, hey, I've had this experience. You haven't. Oh, you better do this. False teachers coming in and saying, hey, you need, to do a, you, know, you need to do these spiritual practices to grow in spiritual growth. And so obviously maybe you haven't believed in Jesus. And so they start doubting their assurance of their salvation. But what Paul does in the first verses 3 to 8 is he actually... Through his prayer, he's giving assurance that they actually have received the gospel. Did you notice that? We always thank God. Why? Because we've heard, here it is. He's heard about the fruit. He's guaranteeing to them, hey, you actually have believed. And you know why he thinks, why does he know that they've believed the true gospel? Do you notice it says they're true, the message of the true gospel? How do they know? How does he know? There's three things. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love and he's heard about their hope. He's heard about their faith. See, faith is that their faith is in Christ Jesus. People, their, their identity is no longer tied up in their careers or their family or their image. And, 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 and he can see, he's heard about that. The people of the city know that their allegiance isn't to Caesar, but their faith and their trust is in Christ. They're no longer trying to achieve things, but they're resting in the loving arms of Jesus. They've trusted in the work of Christ. And he's heard about that. And he's saying, hey, you've received the gospel. But the second thing he says, the reason I know that you've received the gospel is your love. Now, what kind of love is it? It's actually love for God's people. Now we have to love all people. But here it specifically says, I've seen your love for all people. Now for us, that doesn't, like, as we sit in this room, that doesn't seem that difficult. But in the first century, you've got a church filled with Jews who have become Christians and Gentiles who have become Christians, loving one another. They hated each other. You know, and I was thinking, and this is sensitive even at the moment, it's like they're thinking that Palestinians and Israel people, that if one on Gaza Strip became a Christian today and an Israelite became a Christian today, tomorrow they're sitting in the same building loving one another. That's basically, like, do you see, says, the world can see that the, these Jewish Christians, and they're, that they're actually loving one another. It's not a feeling. because It's actually an action. They can actually see it. I've seen your love for all God's people. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because when someone says to me, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I don't need church. I'm a solo Christian. Actually, one of the fruits of being a Christian is that you love all God's people. How, how can you do that if you never meet with God's people? See, love, he said, I can see your love, but actually, where does your faith and love come from? It comes from hope. Did you notice that there? It comes from a hope, an expected hope. Hope in Australia right now is wishful thinking that something might happen. So yesterday around the country, people would have woken up. Some would have woken up with hope, going, I hope that the yes vote wins. Others would have woken up going, I hope that the no vote wins. There was no confidence. There was no certainty that each one, you, you couldn't be confident about it. We hope that our football team, you know, we hope that the Socceroos would have beat England. But it's not certain. But hope in the Bible is always certainty. It's a hope that knows that the promises of God will come true. It's a hope. 
He's seen that they're, ex- they're living life in a way that gives them confidence to know that Christ is returning. Hope drives us forward in life. Hope in the Bible is certain and confident. It's a confident expectation that God's going to do what he does. Hope isn't wishful thinking, but confidence. Hope is more powerful than fear. And can you see why Paul gives thanks? He's like, I give thanks to God every time I remember you because I heard about your faith, I've heard about your love for all people, and I've heard about your hope. He, he gives thanks for that. He said, and I can tell then, therefore, you have received the true gospel. Now, we're sitting here in 21st century Australia. It's, it actually, I think it asks, asks the question today, it asks you as an individual and asks us as a church is, if that was the fruit, do we see that here? Do we see that kind of faith about identity and allegiance? Do we see that kind of love for all people? Do we see that kind of hope that we go, you know what, we're not worried and fearful about today, but we're looking forward to Christ's return? So we live, as we live in a world that's saturated with information, a world that's ever been connected more and quickly and, and at ridiculous rates. How do we live with that? Well, we can live knowing that the gospel is going to come into that and it's going to transform lives. It will shape lives. But see, not only does Paul give thanks for the transformation that's taken place and their response to the gospel, he now prays that they'll keep pressing on in the gospel. And that's point two. He, he prays in verses 9 to 14. He prays, and, and, and how do we live in this world? We live lives never graduating from the gospel see in verses 9 to 14 he's praying that they won't move on he's praying that they'll never graduate from what they first heard now I've been on holidays for a couple of weeks um, I've been away we're in the caravan but but while I was away I had a couple of those um, proud dad moments do you ever have you know proud moments of you seeing your kids and the way they do things that you're proud of them because they've graduated they've sort of moved on from one thing to the next and I had this proud moment sitting there in the caravan park while my kids are riding around their bicycles because with our oldest Harvey, when he was one years old and he could walk, we gave him, we gave him a balance bike. Well, it doesn't have, it doesn't have pedals on it, doesn't have training wheels, but it's this little balance bike that they sat, they sat on as a one-year-old and they'd pedal around and it taught them to have balance. And so after a year, he had that. He, he destroyed the wheel bearings because he was going off curbs and doing heaps of funny stuff. But eventually he moved on. He graduated and we bought him another, we bought him a bike with pedals, right? He graduated. And then you buy him another. And on holidays, he graduated to his mum's mountain bike. But this was a really proud moment, right? Because he's riding around this park on this big bike. But what was even prouder was, you know, he, he, he was practicing doing monos. And so it's really great to just sit in there and see him graduate and he's going down the street of the caravan park on the back wheel of his bike. You know, by the end of it, he was getting good at it. And like, it was one of those moments I was really proud. And it's a good thing to be proud of those kind of things, isn't it? But we aren't to ever be proud of graduating and moving on from Jesus or moving on from the gospel. That's what Paul's really saying. Don't ever move on. Don't, you, you never graduate from the gospel that saved you. Which is really hard for us because 
as good as these things are, we are ingrained in our culture that, you, you know, preschool kids that have a graduation ceremony and get to kindy. I never got that when I was in preschool. You know, I mean, like, you know, you get a little robe. I just moved to kindy. But they get that, you know, going from preschool to kindy. They get a graduation service. Year six to year seven, you get heaps of stuff. You know, year 12, HSC. Now, they're all good things to celebrate and go and, you know, you graduate through your job. They're good things. But it's never a good thing for us as Christians to move on from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what he's praying for in verse 9. Have you noticed that? Verse 9 says, because of this, really, because of what I've just said, you've received the gospel. For this reason, I have not stopped praying and continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. I'm on my knees praying for you. I'm praying that you'll go deeper and deeper into the gospel. I never want you to graduate from this cosmic changing message. Because hey, verse 9, where do I get it from? I get it from verse 9 because what is the knowledge of his will? You've got to ask that question, what is it? Here's what I think it is. And I'll tell you that in a moment. See, Paul is less worried about what kind of house you'll buy, what kind of car you will drive, where you will work. Rather, he's more focused that you will delight in Jesus. It's, it's not about knowing the specific details of your future, but it's knowing more about him. And so where do we get this idea that the will, what's the will here? What's it relating to? Well, one of the key things when reading literature is context is key. And so I think Colossians gives us the key. What I think Paul is saying is this, God's will that he's talking about here, that you'll be filled with, that you'll go deeper into, God's will is his purposes for all creation that are achieved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, I want you to be filled with your understanding of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. Go in your Bibles now from chapter 1 to verse 19 of chapter 1 to next week's passage. Here's a hint of how we get there. Verse 19, so he tells you what he wants you to grow in. I want you to grow in the supremacy, understanding of the supremacy of Christ. Verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in who? Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. If you want to know the knowledge of God's will here, it's that. Verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. He wants you to know that deeper and deeper. Go to chapter 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Why? Here's the purpose. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. Why? In order that they may know, here it is, they may know the mystery of God. And what's the mystery? Namely, Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures. Do you notice the word all there? In hidden are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so no one deceives. You see that the, I think what it's saying is that the knowledge of his will is the gospel and what God has done through his, what God the Father has done through his Son and through the Spirit. See, Ephesians chapter 1 says a very similar thing and he made known to us the mystery. What's the mystery? That Christ, it's the, everything would be purposed in Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's ultimately about Jesus. The word of truth, the gospel. This is what I want you to know. 
and I want you to know it fully. He wants you to go day by day by day by day. We never graduate. We are learners of it. We plumb the depths of that world that are unplumbable. Like you can't get to the depths of it. It's so big. How do we navigate through a world filled with a maze of information and worldviews? He says, go deeper into Christ. We are to know what it means, this incredible revelation of Jesus who's bringing all things under his feet. See, Paul's writing to a church where there's some influences coming from other teaching. False teachers are coming in and saying, hey, yes, you've got this, but I've got that. Now, he, what he wants to do is he wants to equip the church at Colossae to pick it up. Now, when you, you know the, the counterfeit, I always wanted a kid to make counterfeit dollars. Like, I always want to make counterfeit money to, to get rich. But obviously, people can pick up counterfeit dollars. And so, people who are, who are paid, well, this used to be, I suppose it's less and less now, but people used to get paid to pick up counterfeit notes, right? They, they were there to work out, that's a counterfeit, that's not, that's a counterfeit note. Now, for me, I think, well, if you're going to pick up a counterfeit note, the best way to pick up a counterfeit note is you, you, you train looking at counterfeit notes. But that's not how they train people. They train them day by day, by month by month, by year by year, by studying the real note. How were they to pick up a counterfeit? They were to study the real deal and know it back to front. And so that's what Paul's saying. Hey, if you know Jesus, if you know the depths of this wisdom and odds, you'll see that these things that these teachers are bringing in don't match up with the gospel. It gives you wisdom here in Australia as guest preachers come from America and, and fill out packed stadiums. It gives you the wisdom to know whether that is the gospel or whether it's not or whether it's just man's achievements, or whether it's actually the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It helps you in everyday life when someone at church comes to you and says, hey, I've had this, maybe you should have this. And you go, yeah, that's wonderful that you've had that, but actually, you know, I'm grounded in the gospel to know that that's not the gospel by going deeper into it. And as we never graduate from the gospel, you know what it does? It actually, it has a result. It leads to us pleasing Jesus. See, it's not the other way around. What the goal of this knowledge is, is to live a life pleasing to Christ. Have a look there in your Bible, verse 10. Right? I'm praying that you'll be filled with all this. Verse 10, so that, why? You may live a life or walk a lot in a manner worthy of Jesus, pleasing to him in every way. So the result of going deeper into the gospel is that it overflows with four things here. He says, it will bear fruit. It bears fruit in your life, bears fruit in every good work. See, your good works don't come from you doing it to, to, to please. It comes because you're deep in Jesus, delighting in him, and therefore you want to please him. And so this is what you do. You bear good fruit. You bear good works, things that are in line with God. Secondly, what pleases God as a result of going deeper into Jesus is you want to grow and increase in your knowledge of God. Here what I think he's saying is to grow and increase in the nature and character of God. Study the character and the nature of God. See, if you ever say you're bored by doctrine or theology, either the person's just boring or you actually don't really care about Jesus at all. See, doctrine and theology and reading and the Bible and books are really beautiful things because you get to understand the nature and the character of God, which then shapes how you live. And you might be saying, yeah, but I struggle with reading the Bible. Or you may go, I feel struggled and overwhelmed by that reality. And I think here's one thing that may be helpful for us today. We live in an individualistic culture. 
where when we read the Bible, often we read it with us at the centre of the story. And so we read it going, what does this have for me personally and how I'm going to live? When actually, one of the best ways you can read the Bible is go, what does it tell me about God and his character in this moment as he deals with his people or as he deals with creation? From Genesis to Revelation, how do we see the nature and the character of God unfold out in that? And it's in that that we start to change and be transformed. But did you notice that the other thing was being strengthened? Strengthened with all power. He strengthens you to endure and be patient. Now, what's really interesting here is who does the strengthening? Verse 11, the strengthening, it's God. It's actually, in the Greek, it's very clear that it's actually God who does the strengthening with all power. He strengthens you to be patient and to endure. Isn't it incredible that God does not ask us to be what he does not empower us to be? He's clear. It's, he strengthens us for that moment so that we will endure and be patient. Which means that this life with our hope of Christ's returns means that if he's saying we need to endure and patient, it means that this life ain't always going to be hunky-dory and then everything's going to turn out how we want it to turn out. See, patience is the opposite to panicking. Fear and anxiety is living out our future before it comes. But patience and endurance trusts that Jesus has it under control. But not only that, we have giving thanks. Did you, did you see that final one? Giving thanks. We live in a world that wants more and more and more, a better house, a better car. You know, we get a nice house, well, we buy a house, we knock it down, we put a new one up. Like We live in a world that's less thankful but wants more. You know, have you, have you, you know with kids, you... Oh, well, we well, probably experience this on holidays. You know, you buy them an ice cream at lunch. You buy them an ice cream and you teach them to be grateful and thankful. Hey, thanks, mum and dad, for the ice cream. And you think, well, that's pretty good. You know, they're, they're grateful. Then at night time, they come to you and say, hey, we want dessert. You go, no, we had ice cream at lunch. We can't have it twice a day. And boy, the world falls apart, doesn't it? It's like, you're so mean to us. You, we got no, you, know, you, know, you, you don't give us anything. You know, you have one and it's just like ungrateful. Now, in a sense, kids are just expressing what parents know how to shut up about, don't they? Because inside us, we think the same. It's this, this unheart of gratitude. And where, whereas here, as you go deeper into Jesus, you understand that you have everything you need and it doesn't matter whether you get the house or not. It leads to gratitude. So the gospel produces gratefulness. It's something that you've received. Whereas religion produces exhaustion. Moral living in a way that you want to win the favour of God that comes from your identity in that is exhausting and tiring. You won't find it. But delighting in Jesus brings rest as you seek to delight in him which overflows in you pleasing him through your life. See, Paul never wants us to think we're saved by the gospel and then it's time to move on. See, it's a very gospel that helps us fight sin. He wants us never to move on, but to stay deep in it. Now, during the holidays, I, I, I read a couple of books. I read one on Antony and Cleopatra. It was a really great book if you're in that kind of stuff. But then I, I read a Christian book as well. And so I read this book by Jackie Hill Perry. Well, I've nearly finished it. 
And I was struck by this because Jackie Hill Perry, she was a lesbian who got saved. And, and just sort of, you get this story of how she wrestled with life and the lordship of Jesus and the feelings that were in her. And at this point in the book, she's, she's become a Christian and she's dealing with lust. And so she's got a friend who she's living with, this Christian friend, who's, this lady who's mentoring her and, and discipling her. And Jackie, have a listen to what Jackie says about this as she's wrestling with lust. One night after watching a movie remake of the story of David and Goliath, I, saw, I told Santoria how I was struggling with lust, how it was a giant in its own right, intimidating me into listening to its voice. This sin was a talkative one, never pausing to catch a breath or one to relent from telling me who I should be and what I should do, she said. You fight lust with the gospel, Jackie. And Jackie's response, the gospel? How? I said, you know, unsure whether her advice had any practicality to it. I was hoping she'd provide me with a special sin-rebuking prayer, not a petition to just remember the gospel. When Jesus died and rose, he gave you power to defeat sin, Literally. Like you don't have to give in. Every single time you attempted to sin, just remember the reality that Jesus defeated it already. You're not a slave, you're free. You just have to believe that and walk in it. Bewildered and intrigued as ever, I looked up at her and said, so you're telling me that the gospel is all I need to fight sin? Trying to contain a small giggle wheeling up in her chest from the sincerity of my question, Centauria, full of confidence, responded while looking towards my direction, Yes, Jackie, the gospel didn't just save you, it also keeps you. See, Jeff Vanderstelt, there'll be a quote on the screen, he says, the gospel doesn't just bring about forgiveness of sins and save us from hell. The gospel of Jesus Christ empowers us to live a whole new life today by the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead. See, Paul says, you know what, you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with this, maybe you're struggling with that. And he says, hey, go deeper into the gospel. Don't move on. Remember it, reflect on it, know it so well. How are we to live in a world that's saturated with information, a world that's ever increasingly being connected? Well, we live our lives by never moving on. We never graduate from the gospel. And I think as we understand that, it actually affects those of you who are parents or grandparents. It affects the way that you disciple your kids and your grandkids. It affects the way that you pray for them and think for them and, and desire things for them. You know, and, and, and some of you, you know, you're discipling and raising your kids and praying for your kids in a way that you want them to grow up just to do the right thing. You want them to grow up and not bring shame to the family. You want them to grow up and you just pray that your 16-year-old teenage daughter won't fall pregnant and not get her education. Now, they're all good things that we want to grow our kids up to know in wise what the right way of living is. However, it will never change them. Paul's prayer, I believe, would be saying, and we as parents and as a church should be praying that our kids will delight in Jesus and go deeper into Jesus and the response will be those things. It will, it, will, it will mean that we, we, we want them to delight in Jesus more than they get a good education. 
We want them to delight in Jesus rather than, you know, bringing disdain to your family name. Because we can fake it and you'll never make it. And Paul prays that they may know God and his character, that they may know his will in the gospel. You started well, I want you to continue well. Delve into the wisdom of Christ. And as you delve into the wisdom of Christ, your gratitude will overflow more and more every day and your response will be bearing good works. And therefore, finally, we live lives captivated daily by the gospel. How do we live in this world filled with information and being you know, connected so well? Where well, we live lives captivated daily by the gospel. Uh, early this year, as you know, I went over to um, Turkey for a trip around the, the New Testament churches, but I, I ended up in Israel. And, and one morning I decided I'd leave um, the, the old city of Jerusalem and I'd go to Masada. Um, I left at 3 a.m., got a bus down through the Dead Sea, and, and at 5 o'clock we got off the bus and we walked up, I walked up the snake trail up this big mountain called Masada where King Herod had a, a mansion and a palace. It's destroyed, like it's not, it's, it's sort of half there, the, the remains of it. But as I walked up to the top, I got there for sunrise. And I sat there and I was captivated by the sunrise. It's going to come up on your screen. I sort of, there's the Dead Sea. It, I, you know, it, the photos don't give it justice, but I was so high up that for those few moments as the sun came over the horizon, I was captivated so much of going, wow, this is incredible. The glory and the wonder of God in his creation. It just blew my mind. I was captivated by it. So that as I walked down, I wasn't worried about the hour walk down this snake trail. I wasn't worried about the bus trip for the rest of the day. I went to Angedi. I went and swam in the Dead Sea. And it was just on my mind. I was so captivated by it for the rest of the day. I get back to Jerusalem. I'm walking the streets of Jerusalem. It's a Sabbath. I thought, why is it so quiet? I thought it was just because of the Sabbath. I'm walking around. I go to the museum. I'm just walking around. And there's not many people out. And I hop in my cab. I get a cab and say, oh, hey, I want to cab back. I didn't want to walk another 45 minutes because I'd walked like ridiculous amounts that day. And I hopped in the cab and said, how's your day? And the bloke was really down. I said, I'm your, he says, you're my second person for today. I said, oh, why? Well, he said, didn't you hear? Like there'd been a terrorist attack in one of the synagogues in Jerusalem. But what was interesting upon reflection of that moment, being captivated by that sunrise and the glory of God, that in that moment, I wasn't worried. You know, the rest of my day, it wasn't consumed by that. It wasn't consumed by that horrible thing. As, and it was horrible. That I was captivated in that moment. It didn't put a dampener. It didn't change the way I felt. And the letter of Colossians wants you to be captivated by Jesus. It wants to take us to the deep realities of this universe and the cosmos. Colossians chapter 1 takes us to this incredible cosmic universal reality. Did you pick up on it? I think we, we jump over it very quickly because we think about ourselves. Verses 13 and 14 takes us to this incredibly deep moment in the deep realities of the cosmos about there's only two kingdoms, there's only two domains, there's either evil or there's light. There's either the kingdom of Satan or there's the kingdom of Christ. He, he, did you notice that? In verse, he takes you to the depths of this world. There's either one or the other. So the whole year he's saying, hey, guess what? 
Do you realise the universal reality here? Jesus is over both those universes, those both over those domains. And you have been, I think the ESV is good here, it says you've been transferred from the dominion of darkness. You've been transferred, you've been taken from the dominion of darkness, which you could do nothing about, and the Father sent his Son, and through his Son, he has brought you and transferred you from that kingdom to the kingdom of light. See what Paul's doing? He's saying he's taking you to the depths of the world, the reality, and says, hey, look who you are and look what you have. See, some of you may be here today, maybe you're captivated by morals and religion. Others of you may be captivated by theories and news articles. Others of you may be captivated by seeking an emotional experience, while others may be captivated in this moment about getting themselves out of their current situation. Others may be captivated by the reality of going, they're looking at other people around them and go, you're not living up to my standards. But what I've noticed with Paul over and over again, he never says, woe is me. He just saturates the church in the good news of Jesus. He takes them to the bigger realities. He saturates them and says, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, over and over again. It saved you, walk in it. He saturates you like a sponge that soaks up water with the supremacy and the glory of Christ so that you may live with grateful hearts, you may live a life pleasing to him, that you may bear good fruit. He says, here's a big picture. And next week we're going to see a bigger picture. And I think John Piper said this, he said, if we don't see Jesus... If we don't delight in Jesus as our greatest joy and fortune, we have not obeyed or believed the gospel. I wonder where you are today. I wonder which kingdom are you in? Are you in darkness or are you in light? There's only one way and it's through Christ. Don't leave it. Because we live in a world saturated with information. We live in a world that's so connected and how do we live as followers of Jesus? We, we, we live by knowing the gospel is going to go, it's going to transform lives. It's going to be a gospel that we should never, ever graduate from. Let's know it and let's go deeper and deeper into it. But let's be people who are absolutely captivated by it. Let's be a church that is captivated by the gospel, shaped by the gospel, a gospel that bears the fruit. May we bear the fruit of the gospel in an ever, in an ever world that's connected and filled with chaos. Let's pray. Father, we, we, just, um, we just thank you for your word and just what it just shows to us about the, the nature of the true gospel. And Father, we pray for all of us now that um, bear the fruit of that in our lives, we pray. May the faith, may the love, may the hope be evident to this world. May it be evident in Western Sydney in our lives. But also, Father, we pray today that yeah, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know Christ or has not yet been transferred, we pray that they'll see that and turn to the most glorious one in whom we should always delight in your Son. So Holy Spirit, we pray now that you'll just illuminate your Son for us so that we can confidently say all we need, all we have, and all we really want is your Son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.